Welcome to Coffee, Chew, and a Chat. I'm your host, Sahir Gill. I'm a current professional hockey player and aspiring entrepreneur. Every episode features a conversation with a guest centering around their career, their passion, and the journey to discovering how to connect the two. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. If you're looking to discover your true calling, listen weekly to guests that were in your shoes and learn their story. Now to the interview. Welcome to episode one of Coffee, Chew, and a Chat. I'm here with my guest. Uh, he is the founder of Bora Fashion. He is a graduate of Norwich University uh, with a degree in engineering. Uh, he's a real estate investor. He's a former teammate of mine and a great friend, uh, Colin Mulvey. Colin Mulvey, thanks for joining me on the first episode of my podcast. Honored is the word to describe how to be the first of all of your teammates and friends to be number one. Pretty special. Appreciate well, that. yeah. And I mean, to think about uh, we both started our pro careers together in the secondary dressing room with the wheeling nailers. So what better way to start this journey with a guy that I have started a journey with before. So um, it worked out for us that year, too. So this whole too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we want to start with first and uh, foremost, um, we'll talk maybe just a little about your time at Norwich and, and, you know, how you decided to get into to engineering. We obviously know that you were there to play hockey, had a very successful career there as a hockey player, but you're also, we're very gifted academically if I, uh, if I got my facts right. Yeah. So, uh, definitely not the, I'm going to assume it's a little bit different recruiting trip than, uh, than you did to get to BU, but um, I was playing juniors in the EJ for Valley Junior Warriors, and I was by far not the, the standout player. Um, there was only one college in the country that even spoke to me that year, and it happened to be Norwich. Uh, so the assistant coach asked me to go on a uh, recruiting visit. I go on the recruiting visit. There's about 15 or 20 of us in this one uh, recruiting class or that, that trip. And I didn't know anything. So apparently you're supposed to be like bring your friend or your parent or whatever. Uh, I was the only one that was by myself. So after the game, everybody lines up outside the coach's office. They go in and they say their pleasantries to the coach, like a five, 10 minute conversation. They all come out giggles and smiling, having a great time. So I'm like two hours deep sitting in the hallway waiting for this guy because I'm the last person. And I walk in and all he goes is he's like, hey, Honestly, don't think you're good enough to play for my team next year. Maybe you will be in a few years, but I don't know. Best of luck. Submit your application, see what happens. And I was so furious with this guy. I, I planned on spending the night. I was like, fuck this guy. I drove back to Massachusetts that night, and I was like, I will never fucking play for this school. So um, at this time, I had already started the uh, admissions application. And my mom was like, well, you've already, like, started you might as well just send in what you have and essentially all I did was put in my transcripts and my first name and I sent in my transcripts to the school the next weekend I played another guy on that recruiting class in a in a game and the head coach came to watch him and I ended up out playing on like pretty significantly that night so after the game the coach outside of my locker room was like Hey, Mo, can't wait to have you on the team. <laughs> I told you, you're going to be a big part of us. You know, <laughs> I really have, uh, I have you penciled in on this and this. And, you know, I can't, I can't wait to, uh, to get you up at school. 
And I'm like, oh. fuck this guy. I'm not playing for this guy. Uh, but as the season started to keep going, um, nobody else talked to me. That was the only one and only like even hello I had from a college. Uh, so my only other options at that point were to play another year junior or to go to college. And I don't come from any financial means at all. Like that year I paid on my own roofing. Um, so I was like, fuck it. Uh, I, I got into the school somehow, somehow with my blank admissions uh, application and I ended up showing up on the first day of school and I looked at the piece of paper and it said, you have been accepted to the uh, engineering school. And I was like, I guess I'm in engineering. I never, I never, I never made that far down on the application to pick my major. So I just kind of got it gifted to me and I, I rolled with it. And they just told you, here you go. You're an engineer. You're going to be in engineering school now. My math scores in high school, they, uh, they plugged me in an engineering and, and I just rolled with it. You're whiz kid. That's hilarious. So, I mean, it, I think it's always hilarious um, to look back and hear just how one game, you know, can change the course of your career, you know, just having, you know, say the right person there, or, you know, in this case, it might've been the wrong person who turned out to be the right person. Uh, glad you're able to stick it though to him after he, uh, after he shut you down like that. But um, that's what that a few weeks ago. And I, and I got on him and I was like, Hey coach, remember you told me I sucked when I couldn't play for you. <laughs> yeah. And then I was uh, the, one of the best players in the country a few years shortly after yeah. that. And you guys won a few national titles. I, when we won it all my freshman year, and then we lost in the semifinals of the Frozen Four three years in a row. Three years in a row. Okay, I knew you. I knew you. Final four, all four years. That's incredible. That's well. That's a great track record for a guy that wasn't. Uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Because um, like I didn't even get a Worcester State, like my hometown D three school. They didn't even say hello to me, and the best D three school in the country wanted me. It was kind of crazy. Well, yeah, it's amazing how it works out. Once again, you're just taking advantage of that one game. And it's always hilarious, you know, the, the, you, you wish you could go back sometimes and just talk to those guys, you know, and just kind of be like, hey, man, like, let, let them know, like, give them a little piece of your mind, you know, because obviously, I, as it turned out, those guys were probably kicking themselves like, fuck, man, why don't we take moles? Like, this guy was sitting in our backyard and we didn't take him. Like, um, I wanted to go and play prep school instead of because that's where a lot of my friends did. And I got passed over by like five guys and none of those five guys even got division three, like college hockey playing things. And, and I ended up speaking to one of the coaches later. It's like my biggest fuck up I've ever had, which. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess you, you've always been playing the long game, which uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about, you know, you said you went to school um, and you got put in engineering and that's how you ended up uh, graduating with a degree in engineering, but you also mentioned that, uh, you know, you didn't come from any financial means. And um, I just wanted to talk, you said you paid, uh, paid with your way through school, especially the first year uh, by roofing. Um, I know we've talked a little about that, but um, just you and I, but uh, kind of maybe run through what that, uh, what you're exactly talking about. Cause I know you um, from a young, young age decided that, you know, you're going to take matters in your own hands and, and kind of look out for yourself as far as financial opportunities. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't really come from any means at all. Um, single mother, my dad was in and out of prison growing up or just out of the picture most of the time. So he wasn't there to financially help. Um, and like when, high school was winding down. I had, I had no money, no opportunity. So it was either the Marine Corps or a juniors, um, ended up 
getting on a junior team, but with the junior team came a $6,500 check. So my mom was like, you're going to the Marine Corps. And I, and I had to, I, I had to, I had to, to find the money to not be. So I, I had to go do manual labor. That's about all I was qualified for at the moment because I, I didn't have the connections. Most people uh, like hockey is a game of money, which most people like around when you, when you are in a hockey locker room, you're pretty affluent uh, environment, but I was like the outsider for sure. Um, and I don't know if it was through like, embarrassment jealousy what the initial like incentive was but I always wanted to to do better I almost I'd never believe that I could like have the same level of affluence as like all my friends but just something like uh, more stable in my life so it, it came down to like in the beginning it was just the mentality like you have to outwork people like just work hard not smart just just keep going grinding um and then slowly but surely like you meet people along the way and and you pick up one or two things I can't say there's like one like master mentor along the way but there's just a lot of simple um things that I picked up with people I remember my first year out of college I was working um for a heavy civil construction company as an engineer uh between like summers between college season and the professional season and the guy who I was like partnered up with started talking about like he he invests in stocks and I never even thought of doing that prior and just like sparked a little bubble so I remember I, I was like I got $500 I'm gonna put in I don't know what's gonna happen and I ended up buying five shares of Apple at the time uh, and I was like this is a big deal and I'd watch it every day and it kind of got me like hooked just enough to, to be inquisitive and then from there like my my knowledge and investing like grew pretty significantly and then standing on that same corner with somebody else he's like what are these fucking cars are driving by that don't make any noise and then end up being teslas so i i looked into the teslas and i and i started buying the stock of them too back then and it's it's just little things that you pick up from a lot of people in my in my case that that kind of changed my mentality my outlook right yeah and no, i think that's really cool just to you know, that from a young age, you might not have had a clear vision as far as like, hey, this, you know, concrete, um, this is exactly what I want. But you always had this inkling that you were capable of more, you were, you were kind of destined for more, right? That there was just a, a certain standard that um, you knew that you were going to live above more or less, um, as opposed to reaching to, right? Um, and I think uh, what's also cool about that story, one, I mean, the curiosity, you know, to 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 hear those kind of things i know a lot of people might hear those some of those stocks and, and have no knowledge about it and just kind of also brush it off right it might be that you know i don't know anything about stocks so i i won't know anything about stocks you know and having that curiosity to kind of go and then also a guy in your position to you know to, to not have the the means growing up but then also to have the set of cojones to to throw throw that kind of money which i'm sure was fairly significant to you at the time uh, and, and being able to take risks, you know, I think that's, uh, that was something I picked up from that story, which was, which was, you know, kind of blew my mind that, you know, you were, had the, the curiosity, but you also had the, the confidence in yourself to, to take those risks, um, you know, which, you know, Apple and Tesla, those are obviously some, some pretty good companies to get into, but if you didn't know anything, uh, about stocks, you know, I'm sure that was, that was quite the risk to be taken back then. One thing that I actually kind of learned with you and one of our other teammates, Max McKay is like, 
the fear of not knowing way like is disproportionate to what is the actuality and and I'm I'm referring to like the craps table so I remember we used to go to the Wheeling Island Casino and you look at the craps table if you've never played before it looks like just chaos and and like this absolute mystery of math and fortunately like Wheeling's got nobody in it so we'd go at two in the morning and there'd be us and the dealers and they walk you through the game and it ends up being like extremely simple and like knowing that, like once you look un- underneath the hood of a lot of subjects, it's actually very, very simple. You just have to like get over that initial fear factor and jump into it. And there's no better way of learning than to just do it. Like once you have skin in the game or you're bellied up to the table, it's so much easier to learn than being in the stands and like looking from afar. Right. You know, and it'd be like maybe say going to a classroom and not having the textbook, you know, it's uh it's a lot easier, like you're saying, once you got some skin in the game, once, you know, given that risk factor, you know, one, it, it kind of brings you alive a little bit, you know, it kind of gives you something to pay attention to. It kind of brings out, um, not to say the best new, you know, we're talking about the craps table at the, the Wheeling on Casino, but, you know, we're talking about um, just being able to put, uh, you know, not testing the water maybe with, with, with a, uh, a toe, but, you know, maybe just jumping in every now and then and, and giving yourself a chance to uh, to see what's there, you know, like you said, the the fear of not knowing is um, a lot of times I think can be such a stopping point, you know. And um, as you say, there reverse engineering comes to my mind not just because we're talking to you, the engineer, but you know, reverse engineering is just such a powerful tool. I think you know, where as long as you kind of get started, you know, you kind of start to figure things out as you go, you know, and you can kind of see how things how things happen and. Um, that's an experience that I think I've, uh, tried to pull on as well, you know, is that taking action or just getting started, you know, will, will take you so much further than just sitting there and thinking about it. There's never a perfect time. Um, and like, this is, I guess, a stereotype of engineers that they suffer from what they call analysis paralysis, where you overthink every, you overanalyze every problem and you actually never make any progress. But for whatever reason, I don't have that in me. I'm like, if I have an idea, I'll do it. I have like no, no problem putting it on the line. Right. Probably to a fault. Like I probably <laughs> have a little break on me, but I'll put it all on the line at any moment. I'm not a gambler. Like I, I don't get it wrong. Like I don't, I don't think I've been a casino in seven, eight years, but uh, like I, my gamble is the biggest casino, the stock market or the, the real estate market. That's where I like to gamble. Right. And that's something that we're going to touch on a little bit with, uh, in a couple of minutes here, but I think, um, like anything though, I mean, gamble, gambler or not, there's always, there's always things to, to learn. There's always, um, you know, having that awareness just to, to, to have the curiosity, you know, in a situation like that and have it serve you well in, uh, at a later time in your life. Um, you know, hats off to you, um, you know, for having that, um, for having that, uh, type of mentality, because, uh, as it, we were, we're going to talk about you've taken more than just uh, a few risks. Um, you know, you talked about taking uh, a job with engineering in between the hockey seasons um, as you left college and went to pro. Um, and in between your pro seasons, you've uh, were working with a, with the company that you're still with today. If I'm, if I'm correct with that, um, doing your engineering, but your engineering, like you, you didn't show up on campus wanting to be an engineer and, and, being an engineer wasn't something that you were just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to be an engineer and kind of, you know, uh, fold the deck. Um, 
you decided that, you know, real estate was something that you wanted to go to. And if you don't mind uh, getting a little bit into that, because I think that's um, such a, such a transition, you know, I see a lot of guys um, give it a try. I think, you know, whether it become trying to get the real estate license, but a lot of guys that don't know what they want to do after hockey, you know, I think real estate investing is something that probably scares a lot of guys, but uh, when you go on Instagram or you go on uh, some of these social media platforms, you're always, you're always seeing it. You're always seeing people talking about building wealth through, through real estate and just maybe to walk us through a little bit your journey as far as how you um, maybe decided on real estate and kind of how you got, uh, you know, maybe your start, because I think your, your start, especially the deciding to move um, to a city that you really didn't have too, too much of uh, familiarity with. Um, and moving away from your hometown, um, maybe walk us a little bit through that. Yeah, so I, um, I, I like, I did civil engineering, and like I had been working in construction throughout college, essentially. So almost from like a, a basis of knowledge, like all of my knowledge is in a construction slash building background. Um, and with that, I knew that. Um, like I would be almost a step ahead of other people in that capacity. Like if, if you haven't done the labor and you didn't know the design, like you're by definition, like a step behind, uh, but doesn't mean it's like not a barrier. It's not a barrier of entry. It's just, I have, I started a, like a foot in front of you. Um, and the, uh, I never like really have had this, disposition of like I chase money I have like almost no desire of money what I chase is freedom um and the way I could see myself being free is to not be attached to a nine-to-five job like I, I feel like a nine-to-five job um like as I relate to it is like almost a modern day slavery because they dictate when you can do this when you can do that in today's culture it's what kind of health uh, you have to have and what kind of like vaccines, masks, all this other stuff. So there's all is this, these built-in things that you don't control your own destiny with. Um, so I, I would see these people and then I started reading books. Um, one of the biggest paradigm shifting books that I read is a very simple read. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, it's the same. It's an amazingly simple book, but the concept kind of just changes your your whole mentality. Um, like, don't go and buy that car; buy something else that'll pay for the car. It's it's that simple. Um, so I so I started thinking of like, uh, what would I like to do? And and with my knowledge in civil engineering of like roads and bridges and sewer systems and all that, like I at that point I wanted to be a land developer, and I still do. Um, I wanted to buy like a, a big piece of land, put all the roads, the, uh, the lights, the houses, everything on it and own the whole thing. And coming from no money, you have to slowly work your way up there. Uh, and since I didn't have any money and I lived in Massachusetts, which is one of the most expensive places in the country, things weren't lining up. I was like, I'm not going to be able to buy a house for 10 years if I continue to live here. So when I finished up, um, I started looking around like other opportunities and one of the places that I lived in was Cincinnati, Ohio. And just in like passing, you could see like houses for on the side of the road, you see like houses for sale starting in the one fifties or two hundreds. And then Massachusetts, everything's six, seven, 800. 
So I was like, you know what, maybe I should move to Cincinnati and uh, start there. The barrier of entry is so much lower and it's somewhere that I can actually like get my foot in the, the door and start doing it. So I decided to, uh, to leave the mass holes behind and, uh, and, and jumped over to Ohio, the, the metropolis of Cincinnati. <laughs> I, I was waiting for, uh, for a more elegant uh, description, you know, the beautiful city of Cincinnati, which I mean, it, it is, it is, um, it's, it's a, spot, it is, I honestly think it's a really nice city. Um, it's overlooked for sure. I, I almost attribute it to like a Nashville without the music. Um, it, it's got yeah. probably has way more industry and potential in terms of growth economics. Um, P&G, which is the largest advertiser and consumer products, is based in Cincinnati. Kroger is the largest grocery store in the country, Cincinnati. Amazon put their uh, world logistics hub in Cincinnati. Um, Luxottica, the biggest eye brand in the world is in Cincinnati. So there's like this, there's a lot of hidden money in Cincinnati, which surprises you um, from an outside point of view. Like I didn't know this until I kind of showed up on the front door and, and walked into it. Yeah. And so uh, I just wanted, cause Cincinnati is obviously not happenstance that you just ended up there. Right. And this is where the hockey um, and, you know, and the kind of where, you know, my focus is as far as being able to use um, your career as a hockey player and, and using that to transition. Right. So um, Cincinnati was a place that you had played hockey. Um, you had a few connections, but maybe not a ton, but it was a place you were familiar with. Um, was there anyone that you played with that, that factored into the, to the move there? Or was that specifically you just once again, having those, you know, big set of brass ones uh, to take the chance on Cincinnati. It was, it was mostly just like taking the chance on the city. Um, I did know one guy that we played with prior, Christian Manella, prior to moving. Him and I were never the best of friends when we played. We we're always like cordial, but it was, it was like a bit of an age gap there. And he was the grizzly bet, like the mean old grizzly bet, like he always had this mean mug. Like he wanted to pretend like he's a badass and you get to know him. He's actually a soft teddy bear. Uh, perfect description. He's, he's the only guy who I knew moving in. Um, I was honestly kind of still afraid of him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it was it was not like I'm gonna move here and hang out with Minnie. It was I'm gonna move here and within X amount of months I want to own my first property. Right, right. That's and that's wicked. Um and that's something that you've been able to do. You've been able to slowly kind of build your real estate um, portfolio uh being in Cincinnati uh another another layer of column i'll be here that i, I kind of want to talk about and this is something that uh, hits home a little bit with me is is starting a brand you know and so a guy that's you know an engineering degree and engineering is obviously a great um a great career in its own um that's got a this side I want to call it a side hustle, but it's a side hustle with the, with the idea of it becoming, uh, you know, becoming the future for you and, and, and kind of circling back to freedom. I think you, you describing financial freedom as time more than, more so than a dollar amount, uh, which is, which is amazing. Cause that's, that's something that hits home with me because that's something that for me, um, you know, I'm a dad and, and time for me is always something that's on the forefront of my mind. And I think um, that's a perfect way to look at, financial freedom because uh wealth is really you know time and not having you know to answer to anyone and having the the ability to kind of do things on your own terms and, and real estate being uh your vessel for that but you also decided that there was 
another layer to you and of your intelligence that need to be explored. Um, and that's where we got Vora Fashion House. So, so like, uh, I think it's Jim Cramer who's on CNBC. He once said, like, you only have to get rich once. Uh, you can have a bunch of efforts, but only one has to succeed and you're a success. Um, so I never like, uh, I, I think we, we talked about this earlier, but you and I have different shaped bodies than the general public from being an athlete, especially hockey players where we're pretty uh, bottom heavy and we have big legs and big butts. So uh, with that, and I, I'm a poor kid and I'm pretty inquisitive, I, I decided to buy a sewing machine instead of continuing to go to the tailor. So I bought a sewing machine and I was, I would tailor all my own pants and, and, and do everything to make them fit perfectly. And along the way, I realized that um, my pants fit me, but my, my shirts still look like shit because I have a, a wider set shoulder than my stomach. And no matter what, it looks blousey and I look a little bit chubby. If you pay for a Ferrari, you don't want to drive a Pinto. <laughs> all right yeah absolutely i, I um, did you have any fuck ups with the uh with the pants were there any like did you ruin oh, any, yeah. any pairs of pants yeah plenty of pants where i fucking couldn't even put my foot through the ankle hole <laughs> way too tight that's awesome where were you getting where are you getting your jeans back then oh i i'm a, i get them all like four dollars off the macy or the marshall's like um clearance rack and they're always like the weirdest sizes like 30 38 it's like some alien size body and and i would buy those and try to just tailor them into something that would fit me that's unreal that's unreal and so as the story goes so i'm sitting around at the sewing machine one day and i'm like my my pants fit well but my shirts look like shit um and i started thinking of like what if you can make a shirt that actually fits uh, an athletic body because almost every single t-shirt that I've ever seen has two seams underneath the elbows and they're straight down underneath the armpits and they're straight down to your waist. But there's not too many people who have a box from their armpits to their waist. It, it, so like, why doesn't the shirt fucking fit the body? It, nobody has this cardboard box body uh, that, that, that is similar to me. So I started thinking about it and I realized that there's another couple of hockey players that started their own men's uh, dress line called State and Liberty, which makes incredible products. And they had a similar idea, but they were, um, they're geared towards the high dress end. And I was like, so they got the high dress end covered, but they don't have the casual market covered. So I think there's a niche there. And I think if they have success with the, um, the high market, then there has to be success in the low market. It's just a matter of making the best product. So I, I, I talked with them and they told me that I should start looking in Colombia and uh, South America. So I started calling around and then like a couple of like fate chance happened, circumstances came together and I ended up contacting the president of DuPont, South America, who's way out of my tax bracket to even be talking. So I felt pretty privileged that he would even uh, give me the time of day. And he was like, Hey, if you come down here, um, I will take the day and I'll take you to factories and we can, uh, we can explore your idea and we can get something in the works. So on the way down to Columbia with full intentions of making a t-shirt, I'm sitting in the airport terminal and across from me is this stunning woman, like 10 out of 10. And right as she catches eye contact with me, I realize I'm pulling my nuts off my legs because they're a little sticky. 
and I was so embarrassed. Like, I blew it. I never even had a chance. I fucking blew it. <laughs> a sunny day at the airport. I mean, we've all been there. You know, things get a little oh, stuffy traveling. Yeah, I had a full-on peel right off the side of my leg. And the embarrassment hit me. So the whole plane ride in, I'm like, man, we got to we gotta think of something. We got to make something better than this. Uh, so when I go to the factory tomorrow, I'm going to ask them about the T-shirts. And I'm going to ask them if we can make some some better underwear. So as things worked out, all of the material in Colombia, I didn't really care for in the t-shirt department, but I thought it really lined up with the underwear view. And when I left there, I left with two different like prototypes already in the three weeks. So this factory cranked out two different prototypes. They were dog shit, to be honest with you. They were fucking terrible. Because uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I was like, the two biggest problems with men underwear is your ball sticks to your legs and the legs ride up whenever you move. Like you even think about moving and the pant leg like rides up into your junk and you have to start pulling them back down. Yeah, you get a wedgie, yeah. Yeah, so I started thinking of like ideas. And I'm like, I remember some girl's underwear had like little silicone around the bottom band uh, that keeps their underwear from riding up their ass. So I was like, maybe we put some of that in the men's underwear, but I didn't count that men have hairy legs. So I heard like a motherfucker. <laughs> you saw your underwear with a, with a waxing kit. <laughs> oh man, that was, I, I remember I tried those on in the airport terminal in Bogota, flying to Medellin, like the sample is when I got them and it was miserable. I like walked out into the airport lounge and I was like, I got to take these off. I am dying. These are terrible. <laughs> You got that awkward walk as you're trying to get through, just like, yeah, yeah, these aren't going to work. Curtain. It's as if like yeah. somebody taped your leg up and didn't use any pre-tape or pre -wrap. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, those have to go. That's, I mean, it's hilarious though that you, uh, one, I mean, for your entrepreneurial journey, just, um, you know, to, to get that fortune of a, of a bounce, you know, and once again, you're saying, um, going back to the craps table, you know, just jumping in and, and deciding to make some calls and contacting the right people uh, and getting that, that, that call down to, to Columbia and having the stones to get on a plane to head down there. But I think it's also um, hilarious. Just that story about you <laughs> realizing that the underwear market for men, uh, there's a need to be had there. And it came from such a, such a personal experience. One that uh, I'm sure many guys have, have been in that situation before, but not many guys would think, Hey, you know, maybe let's make some, some new underwear. Yeah. The, the mother of invention is necessity or something like that. Yeah, no, it's, I, I heard that. I heard that. That's, and so, I mean, you know, now we're a little bit further down the road and, and, and Bora is something that, uh, you know, you, you've gotten a few uh, prototypes that you've, uh, you know, like you said, were dog shit. And now you've got a couple that were, that were good. Um, do you have any, any long-term plans with Vora? Is this still just, uh, you know, you're just seeing where, where it's going. I know you've, uh, you've been able to, to parlay that into some pretty good connections uh, once again through hockey. Um, if you don't mind elaborating a little bit about that, because I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I just love, love the ability to use your hockey career um, to parlay into something after, um, after the fact. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of a firm believer if you just start going, things kind of come and meet you and and um, like stuff just starts to fall in line. And one of the benefits of being 
in the hockey locker room is that, like we said earlier, everybody comes from some level of money. So when people come from money, there's connections there. And they're, they're probably the biggest and most lasting thing that anybody could ever get from the game is the connections that you, you get from it. Um, so, so I do have Vora and I successfully did make underwear that isn't bullshit. I actually think it's like some of the best, I think it's the best I've ever worn. Like my, my underwear never rides up anymore. It's perfect. Uh, but with that, like I, I do, tr I do want to continue to see that grow. It, it's been growing pretty steadily. Um, and with that, I've, I've gotten different connections in terms of like supplying and sourcing. And I was at a wedding for Christian Manella, my real estate agent slash angry old teammate. <laughs> <laughs> Grumpy old Minzo. Yeah. And, uh, our old equipment manager from the Cincinnati Cyclones in the coast was, was at the wedding too. And he started telling me how um, Adidas is facing supply crunch like everybody else is. And they weren't going to supply any non-NHL teams with any personalized gear this year. And he's like, it sucks. Like, we're just going to have blank hoodies and blank sweatshirts and all this. And I'm like, dude, I'll fucking hook you up. I can make all your stuff for you. Like, I have the connections. It's no different than... I just have to change it to change the design and change the logos on it. And, and I can make all your products. So I think at first he was a little hesitant, but then I called him my girl holiday and we got some prototypes made in, in a couple of weeks and we sent about to him and I was able to, to lock in the deal. And, and I got the, uh, the cyclones locker room deal, I guess I would call it for their hoodies, shorts, uh, welcome package. Yeah. The, the, when you, when you show up in your dry stall, the, the day the Christmas, you know, when you show up and you got all the, the brand new gitch, you know, especially when you're, when you're a rookie, that's like, you know, you, you know, you show up and you're like, all right, you know, you got everything. And, and that's always such a great day. Cause you get all your team stuff and, and you get to I like be the team and you have this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause you know, you're, you're carrying over, you know, gitch from like six other teams uh, trying to piece it together just to, you know, to, to keep your, keep warm in the room or, or, you know, just keep, uh, keep yourself outfitted for the, for the hockey room. Um, just, just, just awesome. Just to hear, uh, you know, your story and just once again, like you're, you're just being able to, to parlay different uh, connections and just the, the depth, I think that, that you've had, uh, in your career away from the game and also circling back to the beginning, you know, and just how that's, this kind of always just been forward momentum for you. Uh, you know, finding a way just to, to use that curiosity and just to, to take some risks and allowing that just to kind of take you to where you have. And, and it's a very impressive place that you've been. I know um, leaving the game of hockey just has so much, uh, so much anxiousness that's attached to it. Right. I mean, there's just uh, a lot of us just aren't very qualified, but as you've shown, you know, that you've been able to take um, some qualifications that are, are very high and some qualifications that maybe at the time, you know, were, were very minimal, but had a high level of interest and you had a high level of desire and just kind of turn that into literally into gold more or less. Um, you know, I would love to, anyone that ends up listening to this, I'd love for you to, to, to give Collins, uh, Bora underwear, you know, give it a look online and see if it's for you. Cause that's a, that's a heck of a story. And I think uh, anyone listening to you would believe in anything that you, uh, that you're putting together because uh you know you got a, a high level of intelligence on you um for as in regards to anyone that's that's in the game right now and and is thinking about 
what's next. You know, I think, you know, sometimes guys play an extra year, maybe a couple extra years, um, you know, not doing what they love anymore because they just don't know what to do outside the game. If you had any piece of advice for guys that are in the game, you know, guys that obviously, you know, maybe aren't in the NHL making, making big time money, um, you know, and are looking at having to start a career immediately after retiring, you know, what kind of, what kind of, you know, curiosity or what kind of avenues um, or any type of advice that you'd have for those kind of guys? I would, uh, I would say like one of the biggest things is probably to look through the rosters that you've played with and, and see where anybody who you've played with is like, where are they currently in life? And, and do you think you could enjoy something similar to that? Or do you think you could enjoy uh, like being with them and like start reaching out to people? Uh, you, you we've we've all played with these guys who we haven't talked to in 10 years and if you talk to him it's like you never left um and i think just he, he, i don't know what everybody wants with their life i know what like i would like so just just look for what you would like in life and try to incept it into your mind like the power of positive thinking um and 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 work with that connection groups that we have like we all have these amazing connections groups um if the person you're talking directly to doesn't know somebody the next person probably does like with the state and liberty i didn't know the guys who actually played who who found a state and liberty but it took one text message and i had that guy's phone number right it's such a tight-knit small community that and and we're all pretty much down to earth, open people. Nobody's looking to um, hold anybody else out. It's like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of community. So start looking for what you want, get get inspired by something and then start using your connections to, to your advantage. And, and, and if you don't have like a dead set plan, at least have an idea walking out. And unfortunately, one thing is, um, when you do leave, you do leave that designated friendship group that we had every day for the last 20 something years of our lives. Um, so the more you reach out to guys, um, the more connections you'll have going up, but also like the more friendship and the less lonely you'll be because it can get a little bit lonely um, on the outside. If, if you don't, ha especially like me, I moved away from home and from my, my usual friend group, but just, I, I feel more so now than ever, like connecting and staying connected to people is, is so important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's such huge advice. I think, you know, as, as hockey players too, you know, everyone's got roles on the team. Everyone understands though, at the end of the day, we're all trying to, to get two points, you know, and like you said that no one's looking to hold anyone out, um, you know, reaching out to guys. I know uh, for me personally, that's something that I tried to make a bit more of an effort uh, just to kind of connect to. Cause like you say, uh, while you play with guys, you know, you, you, they're like brothers, right? I mean, you have this connection that's just a little bit more than just, uh, you know, you're not co-workers, you know, you got a bit of a bond. You guys are going to war for each other every night, uh, not literal war, obviously, no disrespect, but, um, you know, you're going to battle uh, with these guys and there, there's uh, a bond that's held there that's, um, you know, that, that holds a bit of deepness thing to you that you kind of forget about and and that's such a great point because i think leaving the game as well that's such a such a such a change you know such a change of pace such a change in lifestyle you go from from seeing 20 guys that uh, you know you can bullshit with all day every day and 
and and seeing that and having that camaraderie every day to, to maybe you know not maybe having a friend group or you know taking a risk and going out on your own and and not having that um having that uh support you know and just feeling like alone i think a lot of times we like to internalize that you know and just go inward and think hey you know like no one, no one cares you know like no one cares about whether you're going through something or not or you're just you know looking uh, to have a chat i think everyone's uh in the same boat as, as far as that you know as soon as you like you say you pick up the phone you call a guy it's like you're you're back in the room you're you know you're having uh having a great time no time's passed you're just uh um you know i love it with a random call from an old teammate like an actual phone call you yeah. get like that even if it's like that 10 o'clock wine night and they decide to just call you up i don't know that makes my day it's 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 always so special it's always special. It really, because you know, like you know, there's a few of the boys that we know when they have a few in them. They like to, they like to go through the, you know, the phone book a little bit. But at the same time, you know that it, it always means so much to be on on a guy's list, you know, because, uh, you know, like you said, like us having this conversation that that stemmed from from us being teammates. We weren't teammates for for uh, a huge huge amount of time, you know, but just the the, the impact that I can have, and I think you know, uh, we obviously spoke before we're recording this episode and just. Uh, we tried to record an episode, you know, and it was difficult to do just because it was so much fun to, to, to catch up and, and, you know, to, to share that much, you know, that's not something that, uh, that you can find every day. And I think the, the game is, is so powerful in that sense. Um, and it can be a lot easier to transition um, just because of that, you know, just because there is so many guys out there. And if you're fortunate enough to play for, for a few years, you know, you're, you're teammates with a lot of guys and, and, um, you know, you can, you can have great chats like this. Yeah. And, and far more like the financial stuff completely secondary to the, just the friendship aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and that's, yeah. And that's at the end of the day, you know, that's, uh, that's what means the most, you know, that's what, uh, that's what really counts. That's what we're all, you know, looking for. And that's what, uh, that's what brings on the happiness, I think. So, um, well, Malz, I want to thank you so much for for hopping on and being the the first ever recording and bearing with me as a host uh, on my on my inaugural trip down the lane. But um, you know, I think there was so much, uh, so many great uh, nuggets that you that you laid on us out there. You know, so many um, so many guys can can take from from your experience and just um, you know, for me personally, I think the the curiosity and then also you know the ability to take a risk and bet on yourself you know which i think a lot of guys uh that play the game um we've all bet on ourselves already fellas you didn't get to this point in your career but not betting on yourself i don't care if you're a fucking star or you're a plug like me we we've all made uh we've all made that bet at some point to get here so keep betting on yourself you're you're not a plug but uh no, you make a great point. So um, thank you so much once again. And well, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but something that I want to do and try and bring into tradition is um, just with everything that's kind of been going on in the world, I want to bring focus to a local cafe and a local restaurant that you like to frequent and maybe give them a little bit of a shout out, you know, maybe social media tags, um, you know, and maybe try and, and, you know, support local here. All right. So um for local restaurant, I would have to say there's this one place called Mizunte Taqueria. It's a Mexican joint. It's honestly the best Mexican I've ever had in Ohio. I don't know how, but it's it's really good. It's small, um, kind of a hole in the wall place, but I love it. 
and for sure like when times were tough especially early on like these people are really struggling so the more people who can frequent them the better and then more of a selfish plug would be um there's a place called the fix coffee shop it's a coffee and a bar room it's directly across from the Airbnb I'm renovating. <laughs> oh, the more successful that coffee company gets, the more valuable my Airbnb will be. Hey, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that because my next uh, my next plug um, was gonna be uh, uh, to go check that out because you do make a fantastic product and you know I've been fortunate enough to to pick your brain about the design process and learn uh, the levels that you went to to ensure the quality. So Vora um, is another brand that you need to check out because uh, I know the, the fellows, we all have some pretty, uh, some pretty terrible style when it comes to the underwear game. And that doesn't have to be the case because Colin Mulvey's got you, got you covered. No, clean, classic, simple, timeless is the, the essence of the brand. This guy's got it all. All right. Thanks a lot, Mulvey. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review down below.